You know, tonight it's, I mean, I have nothing to say. <laughs> it's, it's what the Lord has to say to us through his word. And my desire is that by God's spirit, we're, that we're taught, that we're instructed, that we're, uh, like Pastor Ross said, built up uh, so that we can grow, that we can mature in our walk and in our relationships with our Lord. And so, uh, you know, I was just kind of praying and thinking about what what to share. And as you all know, uh, we just started up the men's study just a couple days ago. No, I'm not going to share exactly what I shared on Monday night because I just shared a little bit on Monday night too. But I'm going to share a little bit of background. However, in, in sharing with you tonight, I, I just in looking at this passage that we're going to look at, chapter 3, we're going to see um, instruction, we're going to see an encouragement, we're going to see an exhortation from the Apostle Paul. As I mentioned, we were, we're going through the letters of Paul um, in our men's study. We just started up and we have 11 weeks. And I'm kind of bummed out because I know that those 11 weeks are just going to fly by. It's just crazy to me how fast time seems to go as the years progress. This year is just flying by. And, you know, we've gone through uh, Galatians, Ephesians, and now we're in the book of Philippians. Actually, we just wrapped up Philippians on Monday night. And we're going to be going into Colossians and wrapping up with uh, 2 Timothy. These are all letters that Paul authored. I'm sure you're all aware, but Paul um, wrote close to half of the New Testament. He wrote 13 letters. 13 letters in the New Testament are authored by Paul. And much of the, uh, the things that the Apostle Paul shares, um, he shares a lot about doctrine. He shares a lot about the doctrine that our Christian faith is built upon. He talks about Salvation. He talks about our justification in Jesus Christ, how we are sanctified in Him, how we are accepted by God, how we are reconciled back to God through what Jesus Christ did for us 2,000 years ago on that cross. Paul talks about a lot of very practical, applicable things for our lives as believers. He talks about future events, the study of eschatology, the study of the last things for the church and for the non-believers. Paul also shares a lot of practical application for our lives, for us to grow, for us to mature, for us to grow closer in our walk with the Lord, he addresses how the church should function, how the church should use the spiritual gifts. He shares just this huge vault of wealth, spiritual wealth, that we as believers have in Jesus Christ. You know, Ephesians, he talks about, you know, how we in Christ have been given every spiritual blessing. And I mentioned 
you know, those believers that Paul wrote to, that church in Ephesus, they were rich beyond measure. And yet they were living as spiritual paupers. They were living as beggars. And sadly, that's true for a lot of us as Christians today. We don't take it, we don't, number one, we don't realize our position in Christ. We don't fully understand our position, our inheritance that we've received through what Jesus has done for us. And so here in in the book of Philippians, you know, we see Paul instructing, we see him encouraging um, in such a way that would bring glory to God's name. One of the key things that I want you to know is that Paul's letters aren't distinct from the gospel of Jesus. In fact, Paul's teachings are consistent with what Jesus taught, and they're in complete harmony with the Bible. So I think, you know, this message will be timely for a lot of us because, number one, I think we all could use some encouragement, right? <laughs> Sometimes going through this life isn't, isn't the easiest of, of things to do. You know, as we, we're singing in worship right now, Oh, Lord, how I need you. I mean, that is that's so true. We need the Lord, not just in the morning or the evening when we come to have a devotion time with him or when we're praying. We need the Lord every minute of our lives, every, every second, for every situation. We need him desperately in our lives because without him, we're going to go, or without him, we're aimless. We need him actively working in our lives and we need to be seeking him every minute. Oh, how we need him. So in addition to the encouragement, I think we could all use a challenge too. A lot of times as a believer, I think spiritually we become comfortable. We kind of rest on our laurels. Things are good. I'm reading the Bible, you know, reading a, a chapter a day. I'm spending this amount of time in prayer, I'm doing this, I'm involved in this ministry, I'm going to men's study, I'm going to Wednesday night, things are good. Okay. But how's your heart? And tonight we're going to see the Apostle Paul bring that exhortation to us, bring us that encouragement. So I just pray that, you know, the, the Holy Spirit would just meet you wherever you're at tonight. Whatever your circumstances are, I pray that through this passage of Scripture, you're encouraged and that you would uh, be able to glean and take heed of of what God's Word has to say for, for each of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we just come before you this evening, we do want to Say thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for our salvation, Lord. God, we thank you that that you died for us, Lord. That you've given us eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we know that you're here with us right now as as we're going through your, your word, Lord. And I pray that your Holy Spirit just fill this room.
that you would just minister, Lord, to each of our hearts, I pray. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just do a work in our midst tonight. So I pray this now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Excuse me. Okay, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read the first 11 verses. So, verse 1, Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So verse 1, he writes finally, or furthermore, he says, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice, it's, it's a verb that simply means to be glad. It means to take joy in something. Um, if you're familiar with the book of, of Philippians, you know that uh, joy is an important theme. In fact, uh, the, this book has been referred to as the epistle of joy. And the irony about it is that Paul wrote this book while he was imprisoned in, in Rome. Yet, despite Paul's own circumstances, he wrote this letter to bring an encouragement to the believers, to uh, exhort them as they lived their lives and as they walked with the Lord. Here in this verse, Paul connects rejoicing to how much money they have in their bank accounts. No, that's not what he connects rejoicing to. He connects it to the satisfaction that they find in their relationships. No, that's not true. He connects it to the success that they were having in their careers. No, that's not what they were to rejoice in. Maybe it was by how many likes they got on their Facebook page or how many followers they have on their Instagram accounts. Hey, some people, that makes them happy. (laughs) But that's not what the Apostle Paul was talking about. They didn't have that technology back then, number one. But those things are all brought about by a temporal feeling of happiness, and it will fade away. Paul connects joy with our relationship to the Lord. He says, rejoice in the Lord. That joy that Paul talks about, it's not about, he's not talking about a happiness because happiness uh, comes from 
a favorable situation, you know. Hey, I got a big check this week. <laughs> Yay, you know. Uh, you know, it comes from just things that are circumstantial in our life, but we know that uh, happiness fades away. It's just a feeling that's so associated with favorable events. Biblical joy, it produces a deep confidence in the future that is based upon God's purpose. You know what brings joy? Being saved by the grace of God. You know what brings joy? By viewing this life, by having a perspective, by seeing this life through the lens of God's truth. That's what brings joy. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You see, joy is a fruit. It's a fruit that is given by God when we walk closely with Him. And Paul was telling these believers at Philippi that they needed to rejoice in the Lord. Paul does not tell these believers, hey, you know what, brothers and sisters, you should try being more joyful. Or, hey, you know what, when things are good, then rejoice in the Lord. No, that's not what Paul is saying here. He's telling them as a command to rejoice in the Lord. What do we rejoice in? It's something that I have to ask myself, you know, and check myself with quite often. As I, you know, live in this world, being human, dealing with circumstances, dealing with favorable things, and I think things are good, and you know what? I'm happy. But that's not what brings me joy. You know, I could be in a, in a bad situation. Can I still have joy? Well, all we have to look at is the Apostle Paul's life. Let's just... Take a moment and look at the Apostle Paul. Here he is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, which he visited probably about five to eight years earlier. And it was, on his second missionary journey, he's, he, he's in prison. He, he's, he's in Rome. And, you know... Here's a guy that's locked up in chains. Here's a guy that, you know, can't do what he wants to do. Why? Because he's imprisoned. But yet, where was his heart? Where was his, his mind? Where was his attitude? Well, it wasn't fixed on himself. He didn't see his own situation and have a pity party. He was thinking about, the believers. He was thinking about those brothers and sisters in Philippi that he had shared with. You remember that miracle that God did when Paul and Silas were in Philippi and they were in jail. Another time that Paul was in jail. Bad circumstances, right? What can God do with a person who's in prison? Seems like a waste, right? Well, absolutely not because... That night, Paul and Silas were giving their praises to the Lord. And at midnight, it says that while they were praising God, that a great earthquake came. And that earthquake shook so hard 
that it broke open those bars that, you know, kept them there. And they had plenty of opportunity to escape. And in fact, the Philippian jailer was scared out of his mind. In fact, the Bible says that he wanted to kill himself. He thought that, the, that his prisoners that he was responsible for had gotten away. But Paul said, no, we're, we're right here. We're right here. And you, you know what Paul did? He used that as an opportunity to share the gospel, the gospel of God's grace. And that Philippian jailer was saved there that night in prison. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says, and he speaks from experience. Always, he says, I will say rejoice. You know, a lot of times we hear about our struggles, you know, just being in the church, being in the world, you know, talking to people. Everything is is. It seems like our feelings, our contentness, how we feel about things is dictated by the external circumstances or just, you know, whatever the situation may be. You know, and even in the church, I hear people say, well, you know, I'm struggling with my faith because I lost my job. I'm struggling, you know, in trusting the Lord because of a, a health issue or because of a conflict in, in a relationship. I would say to you, go to the Word of God. Take a look at the Apostle Paul's life and tell me about his faith. Because this man's faith was grounded in Jesus Christ. Nothing shook him. Nothing moved him. So we're to rejoice, verse 1. He says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. One thing that Paul uh, brings to these believers is he has a desire for them to, to grow and to mature spiritually, and he has a desire for them to exercise discernment. And as with many of his letters, Paul warned the new believers to beware of the tendency toward legalism, which was continually popping up throughout these churches. The many churches that Paul founded were turning back to legalism. They were turning back to a works relationship with God. And Paul warns them to discern. It means to distinguish, to separate out by diligent search, to examine. It means having the understanding of the fundamental truths of God's word. And just as we in our faith need to mature and grow, so too we must grow in exercising discernment. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want discernment in your life? How are you going to get it? 
You're going to get it by sitting in front of the TV for hours upon hours? Are you going to get it from the Internet? Okay, you might justify and say you're looking at things that, you know, help you in your walk with the Lord. You're looking at a Bible study or something. But right here, guys, (laughs) the Word of God, that's where we're going to gain discernment because we're going to be feeding our hearts and our minds with the truth of God's word. And that's why, you know, our pastor and that's why church elders must warn the church about false doctrine, about false teachers, because they're out there. For Paul to write these things, he says it wasn't hard for him to do. It wasn't tedious, but it was necessary as a safeguard for the believers. So here we see Paul faithfully warning these believers to be aware, to be discerning. Because these false teachers, the false doctrine that was out there posed a serious risk, a serious threat to the believers. And they still, false, false doctrine, false gospels, counterfeits, they still pose a serious threat for us as believers today. You know, there's a lot of movements out there. We have to be careful. How do we know what a counterfeit is? Handle the truth. What's the truth? The word of God. Paul says in verse 2, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evildoers. Beware of the mutilation. Or another translation for the word mutilation is the false circumcision. He says, Beware of dogs. I'm a dog lover. I love dogs. But guess what? Paul is not talking about a pet. The term used here for a a dog is a derogatory term. They're referred to as wild scavengers that plagued ancient cities. These dogs roamed in packs and they fed on garbage. And occasionally they would attack humans. These were dangerous animals. He refers to these false teachers as evildoers, and that was the reality. In God's sight, they were evildoers. Paul describes them as the mutilation or the false circumcision, the Judaizers. These were Jewish legalists who denied the gospel of Christ. And you know what? When Paul would go into an area and share the word of God, and he would disciple brothers and sisters in the Lord. He would, his desire was them to grow. His desire was them to, 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 to know Jesus Christ and to know the salvation that God offers through him. And Paul spent a lot of time with these churches, but he couldn't stay there because, you know, God called him to go out into the world to preach the good news. And so Paul had to leave. But guess what? When Paul left, who came in behind him? The Judaizers. The deceiver came in. We know that the the devil, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Anytime God's word is planted or anytime truth is planted in our lives, guess what? There's going to be that opposition. And these believers, a lot of them, unfortunately, Paul wrote to the Galatians and he called them Oh, foolish Galatians, because a lot of them fell back into that trap. They didn't realize the grace of God. They didn't embrace 
the promises of what Paul shared with them. And they fell. They fell back into a works-based relationship with God. The Judaizers, they taught that circumcision and keeping the law of Moses were necessary for salvation. In essence, this was a false gospel. In Acts 15.1, it says, Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's a lie. And that's what these Judaizers were sharing. We know that salvation is by grace alone. For Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And Paul uses strong language here to warn the believers of false teachers. Let's move on to verse 3. Paul says, speaking to the believers, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So unlike the Judaizers who were the false circumcision, Paul says that the believers, the true believers, that they are the true circumcision. And we know that in the New Covenant, circumcision reflects an inward reality. It it reflects what's truly the transformation that has taken place inside of our hearts. In Judaism, it was an outward act. It was the cutting away of the flesh. And so Paul says that we as believers are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Having no confidence in the flesh. What good is there in our flesh? We're going to see a little bit about Paul's background here and learn a little bit about his testimony. Paul says in verse 4, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. If there's anyone who could have confidence in the flesh, it's the Apostle Paul. I won't argue with that. Verse 5 and 6, Paul goes on to share some of those fleshly accomplishments, some of that fleshly pedigree that he had. He says he was circumcised the eighth day. He said he was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, which was a very prominent tribe. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was dedicated to Judaism. He was concerning the law. He said he was a Pharisee. He had arrived. This guy was was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, zeal was held in high regard in, in Judaism. And the Apostle Paul, concerning zeal, he says, persecuting the church. Before Paul's transformation, before God saved him on that road to Damascus, One of Paul's main purposes in life was to ravage the church. He wanted to destroy the believers. He wanted to destroy those who were of the way. 
concerning the righteousness which is in the law, Paul said he was blameless. If anyone could have achieved salvation by self-effort, the Apostle Paul was that man. But you know what? All of these fleshly credits that I just mentioned, God is not impressed with any of those. Yeah, he went through all the rituals. Yeah, he was a member of God's chosen people. He said he was of the stock of Israel. Yeah, he was from a favored, prominent, noble tribe of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Yes, he was dedicated to the Jewish heritage, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was one of the most devout legalists in Judaism, and he had more zeal than any of his counterparts, and he kept the requirement of the law according to Jewish tradition. But all of these successes we'll read in the verses that we're going to read here in in a minute. He counted those as waste. He counted those as rubbish, as trash. Romans seven eighteen says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, my flesh. You see, Paul counted everything that he did for himself as a loss for the cause of Christ. Let's read verses 7 to 11. He says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being confirmed, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. All of these things that we just read about in the Apostle Paul's life, they had no merit. They were trash. They were worthless. Verse 7, these things I have counted lost for Christ, Paul says. What did Paul gain? He gained the knowledge of Christ. What did, who did he gain? He gained Jesus Christ, a relationship with him. And it's through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God. That's the free gift that God gives to repentant sinners by his grace. Righteousness, it cannot be obtained by fleshly efforts. It's all about, have, it's all about a right standing with God and acceptance by him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's Christ. It's his righteousness that is imputed to us as believers. It's what covers us. It's what justifies us before God. Paul had this overwhelming desire to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And this, no longer persecuting the church, no longer a Pharisee, no longer living according to the law, but knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, that became the lifelong pursuit of the Apostle Paul, having a deeper knowledge of his God and Savior. Paul mentions in these verses the power of the resurrection. 
We know that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And it was God's power that raised him from the grave. That same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave is the same spirit that saved the Apostle Paul on that road to Damascus. That same spirit is the same spirit who drew you to God through Jesus Christ. It's that same spirit who enables us today. It's that same spirit whose presence is in our lives. It's that same spirit that we can ask over and over again to fill our hearts, to be filled overflowing with his spirit, the spirit of God, that dunamis power. I think that's one of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus is that unlimited disposal of his spirit working in our lives. How many times do we ask for his spirit to fill our lives? I know, I'll be honest with you guys. I don't ask enough. Sometimes I'm the one living like a pauper. Sometimes I'm the one looking at my external, situ- uh, my, my external circumstances, you know, and I let those things affect me. I let those things trip me up. I let those things get me down. I let those things steal my joy. But there's encouragement here for us, church. Because it's his power that helps us to live a life that is pleasing to him. A life that is set apart. A life that gives us power, that gives us boldness to proclaim his truths. It's Christ's power that helps us to overcome temptation. It's his power that helps us to carry through trials, to get through testing. It's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. I thank God for his Holy Spirit. I thank God for his work his spirit working in my life because his spirit is truly what enables us. God is able. Me up here tonight, I'm not able to do this. This is not my forte. I, I, I honestly, I, I get, it's, it's very nerving, unnerving for me to be up here. But I know that I'm sharing the truth of God's word and that's what I want to be faithful to is to share verse by verse God's word, because I know it encourages me. I know it's what strengthens me. I know it's what builds me up in my walk and in my relationship with the Lord. Paul goes on to talk about the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. We know that Christ suffered on the cross for our sin. And we have somebody who can identify with us because you know what, in this life, Because of sin, we too are going to suffer. We're going to have tribulation in this life. We're going to have to deal with our flesh in this life. But Jesus Christ will be there for us when we face temptation, when we go through those trials and endure to endure that hardship or the opposition that we face, the persecution, the suffering. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.10, he says, Therefore, I take pleasure 
in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's so powerful. I mean, Paul, I, I, I mean, yeah, he's a man. <laughs> he's not perfect. He's, he'll be the first person to, to admit he wasn't perfect. And for what? For the, the sake of Christ. It's when we are weak that Christ can reveal and show his power through our lives. Verse 11, Paul wrote, If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I don't think he was doubting here. But it's through Christ that he would attain the resurrection from the dead. In verses 12 to 16, Paul talks about pressing towards the goal. Paul tells us, you know what? I haven't arrived yet. (laughs) Not that I have already attained or I've already perfected. If you look at his pedigree, if you look at his accomplishments, you might disagree. We just read about his pedigree. The things that he did before he came to Christ. We also know what he did for the cause of Christ after he was you know, walking with the Lord for a number of years. When he wrote this letter, he wasn't young in the Lord. It was probably 20, 25 years later that he wrote this letter to the Philippians. But yet he says, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected. And I love that, just the brutal honesty of God's word. He says, I'm not there yet. To me, that's amazing. And that's what I love about the Bible. You know, Paul wants these believers to know that, you know what? He isn't perfect. He's being perfected through sanctification in Christ. Yes, he's complete in Christ because we've been given every spiritual blessing because our sufficiency is in Jesus Christ. Even though Paul was a new creation, he was still being transformed by the Spirit of God. 25 years later, some of you guys have been walking with the Lord for 25 years or more. I've been walking with the Lord for 21 years, since 1996. That's when I I got saved, 21 years ago. I was four years old. But... I have a long way to go. I have a long, long way to go. And I know that we, we're, we're God's workmanship. We're his perfect work of art. And uh, that's something that I have to just keep looking forward to, is that God is working on me, his perfect art, his perfect piece of art. You know, and I think having a a realization that, you know what, yeah, I haven't arrived yet, (laughs) it's important. I think that's that's a good place to be. 
you know. I think growth starts with a recognition that, you know, we're not where we ought to be. It starts with, you know, realizing that we aren't perfect, obviously, and that, that we have a need, you know, and let God work in our lives. Verse 12, Paul says, but I press on. I press on, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of for me. Paul talks about running a race. He talks about arriving at at a finish line. And this should be of great encouragement to us tonight. He speaks about, you know, an athlete. He talks about these these running types of terms, straining toward, pressing on, running it to completion. You know, he often used athletics to illustrate the Christian life. And here we have the illustration of an athlete who is running on towards the finish line. He gives the illustration of giving, you know, this full effort, this maximum effort to finish this race. And he wrote this to encourage and challenge the believers to persevere in their faith, I'm sorry, in their faith in the midst of their trials and persecution. Hebrews 12.1, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is this race? Well, this race, it's the Christian life. This life, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And we're called to stay the course and to be faithful to the end. Paul used this same imagery in 2 Timothy 4.7. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Doesn't sound easy. A fight, a fight, it's never easy to be in a fight. Finishing a race, <laughs> running, <laughs> that's not, no. <laughs> no. I don't like running, I'll tell you that right now. I've tried many, many times in my life to fart running again. I've had to have the desire to, to run because I want to be in shape, but I have a hard time doing it. In fact, it was just a few weeks ago that me and a brother went out running. We'd go around and around, then I'd stop and I'd walk a little bit, and I'd start running again, and then I'd stop. I think we did about three miles, but, well, maybe I'm being optimistic. Maybe it was, I don't know. <laughs> it feels good to say it was three miles, but. <laughs> It felt like three miles. Let me put it that way. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of it has to do with me not liking the pain and the discomfort that running causes because I'm not consistent with it. I don't run consistently. And so it brings on a lot of shock and pain to my body. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> running requires consistency. Mar- if you're running a marathon... It requires consistency. It requires pace. 
as opposed to running a, a sprint, like a 50-yard sprint. You're going to go out the gates and you're going to take off and give it all you got, but you're going to tire out real quick. And sometimes that's what we as believers do. Man, we, we give our hearts to the Lord. We're so excited and we have this zeal and this excitement. And we just we come out those gates running. We're sharing with everybody that we know, with our family, our friends, our coworkers. You're reading the Bible, you're getting commentaries, you're just going through going through it on fire. <laughs> but guess what happens? That flame fizzles out. You get tired. You burn out. See a lot of that happens to a lot of people, unfortunately. We've got to pace ourselves. We've got to run the race to win. We've got to train. Training requires instruction. It requires consistency. It requires commitment. And that's what we need to give this life. This life that God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 13, Paul says, Brothers, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't count himself to have arrived. And he says he forgets what's behind. It's not easy to forget what's behind. I have a hard time forgetting what what lies behind me. I think for a lot of us, we probably struggle with that, if we're honest. In fact, when we don't forget about those things that are behind, guess what? It becomes a weight. It becomes spiritually draining. And it even becomes damaging to sit and dwell on our past. So Paul encourages us to forget it. Paul Paul spoke strongly about his past. He said it was a waste. He said it was dung. It was rubbish. It was trash. He doesn't say, oh, I, I wish I had it back. You know, these opportunities that I blew in the past. Oh, I'm a failure. I can't do this for God. I'm never going to be worth anything. I keep falling. I'm not worth it. You don't see a pity party. He simply says this, one thing I do is forgetting what is behind. It doesn't matter how many times we've blown it. It doesn't matter how many times we fail. Forget it. We've got to move forward. Let's make today the day that we move forward. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we have that newness. Paul says to walk in the newness of life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that 
any man, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I love that verse. Is that a verse that you grab a hold of? Is that a, a verse that you have made real in your life? Because that's, what it, that's a promise of God. That's what you need to embrace. That's what you need to grab a hold of. So Paul tells them to forget the past, and he tells them to press on. You know, I just watched a, a football game the other day. I think it was college football. I just watched a game because I haven't watched a game in, in a year, and I just had a few minutes to spare. And it was, Yeah, it was a college football game, actually. But anyways, um, you know, football teams or any sports team, for that matter, has a coach. You know, and the coach teaches and he instructs his players. There's a game plan that the coach has. There's a strategy to win. The coach motivates his team. He helps them to train for the game, and he helps them to focus on the goal at hand. And what's that goal? Winning. See, it's not enough to just forget the past. Paul isn't telling us, forget the past so you can relive it and make the same mistakes. But he says, forget the past and press on. Focus on the goal. What was Paul's goal? It was the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. He pressed towards that. Pressing on, it describes or it denotes a continuous effort. He pressed on. The prize, that's what motivated him. Through all those hardships and sufferings, for all the trials and tribulations that Paul went through, Where was his focus? His focus was on the prize. But it's when you lose focus on the prize and your eyes are set on other things, when your eyes are set on earthly things, when your eyes are set on your circumstances that you lose focus. And that's where we stumble. That's where we become discouraged. That's where we lose hope because we see ourselves. We see our failures. So Paul speaks of a a diligent, maximum effort towards pressing on. Pressing on. You know, a lot of us here tonight, we might be in a place where we feel that, that things, you know, just aren't going to work out. Maybe it's with a job situation or maybe it's with a relationship. Maybe it's your health. If you're focused on that tonight, then then you might be struggling. You might be having a hard time. Where are your eyes Are they fixed on yourself or are they fixed on Jesus Christ? Like Paul, are your eyes on that goal? Are your eyes on that prize? 
Because I know that's where God wants our hearts and minds to be, is focused on Him. A lot of us, we're tired. This life makes us tired. It wears us out. There's a lot of burdens that we carry. You know, some of us, we try to do it all, and we carry the burden on our shoulders. We can't allow that. We've got to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. Later on in Philippians, you know, mentioned that joy is brought up quite a bit. Paul says to rejoice in the Lord always. And he says in chapter 4, For us to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. That peace, it speaks of a, of a guard, of a garrison. It's, like a, it's a military term. And it's what guards our hearts. When our eyes are fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're spending time in prayer, when we're making supplication, asking of God, with thanksgiving, then you will have the peace of God in your life. So I pray tonight that that you're encouraged. I have a little more to share, but I think I think it's time to to wrap things up. So I always over prepare, I think. But so <laughs> out, of, out of respect for everybody here, you know, um, I just pray tonight that you know you guys are encouraged, that you guys are built up in your faith in the Lord that you would grab a hold of the promises that we read about tonight in God's word, that we would be rejoicing in the Lord, that we would be watchful, that we would be exercising discernment of what we're allowing our ears to listen to, that we see Paul's life as an example, as a testimony, that we're encouraged by his life, by the mighty transformation that God did in and through him, and Paul's encouragement for us to press on. That's my prayer for you tonight, is that we here at Refuge Fellowship would press on, and we have each other. That's the great thing about it. We're not called to do this alone. You look to the person to your left and to your right, left and right, guess what? They're pressing on too. And together we can press on. Together we can move forward towards the, towards the goal, towards the prize. And that's eternity with Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, that it is truth. We thank you, God, that you've revealed your truth to us, Lord, in these last days through your Son, Jesus Christ, and through your word. Oh, God, how we need you.
We sang that song earlier, Lord. And may that be the prayer of our hearts tonight, Lord, to call out to you, to cry out to you, Lord, to get on our knees and just uh, beg you, Lord, to be in our lives. Lord, that we would just, uh, that you would just give us a desire, Lord God, to follow you, a desire to, to know you, to spend time in your word. That's my prayer tonight. And I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.